the higher. But uh, let's see. Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again very soon. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets around Asia, uh, they're up just slightly. The ASX 200 in Australia is up 0.1%. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225 has risen about 0.2%. Uh, in South Korea, the Cosby right now is flat. And futures markets indicating a small rise for the Hang Seng of about 50 or 60 points at the opening in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil is trading at $73.06 a barrel. Gold is rallying a little bit this morning after a week of sharp falls. It's at $1,780 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. Stay tuned for Back Chat in just a moment with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine, apart from isolated showers. Very hot again during the day, a maximum temperature of around 33 degrees. The very hot weather warning is in force. The outlook is for it to remain very hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days, but there will be one or two showers. It's 30 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. It's just gone 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. Beijing's Foreign Affairs Office in Hong Kong has accused foreign politicians and Western media of making irresponsible remarks about yesterday's Apple Daily arrests. The pro-democracy paper's Joan Guano office was raided and five of its executives arrested by National Security Police over what they say were newspaper articles calling for foreign sanctions. Robert Kemp reports. The office strongly backed the police action, saying the pro-democracy paper had been begging foreign countries to impose sanctions. It said no matter what tricks external intervention forces played, they could not shake SAR law enforcement and China's determination to safeguard national security. It also backed the SAR government's decision to freeze Apple Daily funds, saying they were linked to criminal activity. Police have said there could be further arrests. Apple Daily remains defiant, saying its print run for today will be 500,000 copies. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un says his country needs to prepare for both dialogue and confrontation with the United States under President Biden in his first direct comment on the Biden administration. At a meeting of senior leaders, he said North Korea should be fully prepared for confrontation in order to protect the dignity of the state and reliably guarantee what he called a peaceful environment. Pyongyang has previously accused Mr Biden of a hostile policy towards North Korea. The authorities in Japan are starting a COVID-19 vaccination campaign for around 18,000 people due to work at the Tokyo Olympics next month. The head of the organising committee, Seiko Hashimoto, says the jabs will target those interacting closely with the athletes on a frequent basis, such as referees, Olympic village staff and anti-doping officials. Ms Hashimoto is also reported to be considering a cap of 10,000 spectators for Olympic stadiums, with a final decision to be taken by next week. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about foreign forces and China's manned space mission. Hundreds of police raided the Apple Daily offices yesterday. Five executives have been arrested for allegedly colluding with foreign forces to endanger national security. And Beijing's new top diplomat in Hong Kong, Liu Guangyan, has called the battle against foreign forces his top priority. He also said that those seeking to curb China's growth or undermine its dignity are doomed to fail. 
Who or what actually are the foreign forces? What does the term mean? Hong Kong has always been a city relatively open globally. Would the NSL jeopardise our position as an international metropolis? Can we be a world city? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave comments on our Facebook page, Bank Chat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us on 233-88266, 233-88266. And later we're going to be talking about China's manned space mission and why it's significant. Uh, once again, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Joining us now, we have uh, Paul Zimmerman, uh, Southern District Councillor, CEO of Designing Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Uh, Alan Lung, who's a co-convener of the Path of Democracy think tank. And John Burns, Emeritus Professor, Honorary Professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Let's kick off with this email. This is from Alan, who says... Back chat. Foreign forces, black hands, etc., have been the bogeymen and justification of draconian laws, arrests, and the current assault on Apple Daily. In the seven years since Occupy, it's been a constant refrain, and never a single piece of evidence. No court cases, no proof, just BS. Someone met someone from the US consulate. Some guaylo was seen talking to protesters. Some NGO funded a seminar to promote democracy. Another offered safe communication software. That is the sum total of actual events this whole conspiracy and the Stalinist oppression of the NSL is based on. Years and years of police and politicians and now the CCP itself saying that protests were funded by foreign forces and their favourite term colour revolution. Still no effing evidence. It's simply a lie. And what it means to those not of Han ancestry in Hong Kong, that we are treated with suspicion and hatred. I know one teacher who was driven to leave Hong Kong due to absurd claims that he was a CIA agent. Followed doxing, stalking, threats and attempts to get him fired. No protection from the government. They encourage this abuse. As an Australian, the CCP has painted a target on my back because of my nationality. Export bans one week, hostages the next. What it means to local Hong Kongers is that the CCP says they are so stupid that they have no political will or concepts aside from what is fed to them by CIA handlers who pay them tens of thousands a day. Yet somehow the government cannot produce any records of these payments. Every nationalist authoritarian government resorts to foreign forces to explain why they can't allow fair elections and why everything that goes wrong is a result of some foreign plot, not their own incompetence, corruption and malice. Need one point out how corrosive this is to Hong Kong's role as the interface between the mainland and the world economy. All the companies that are choosing to move to Singapore, Korea, anywhere safe from the CCP jackboots on their necks. I have no solution. Leave Hong Kong if you can or wait till the CCP collapses are the only options. That is from Alan. Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. Our guests in the uh, show this morning, uh, Paul Zimmerman, Southern District Councillor, here in the studio with us, Alan Lung, uh, co-convener of Path for Democracy, and uh, Professor John Burns, uh, from the, uh, formerly from the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, and Professor Burns, let's go to you first. Professor Burns? Yes, good morning. Are we moving into a era of greater hostility towards... Um, all things foreign in Hong Kong, then? I think uh, this. it does appear that we are uh, go going in this direction. I just, you know, there is a lot of confusion about who these anti-China foreign forces are in Hong Kong. On the one hand, we're told, you know, that these are the people that support uh, Hong Kong independence. They call for sanctions on Hong Kong and China, and they fund these activities, uh, protests and all this, but as your um, 
correspondence said to someone on an email, there's not a shred of evidence of this. On the other hand, then we have all kinds of lies spread around about who these foreign forces are, such as the attack on the researchers at HKUST um, and who claimed that their project was paying Hong Kong people to riot. If you look at the project, you can see that this is entirely untrue. So these are the people that are going to tell us, you know, what's fake news and what's not. I have to say that this is entirely ridiculous. And another thing, you know, it sort of denies agency to the people of Hong Kong. I mean, the people of Hong Kong have come out and protested. The people of Hong Kong have done this. It isn't that they are paid... Um, you know, demonstrators and all this kind of thing, which the Communist Party would like us to believe. I mean, one thing there is plenty of evidence for is is um, is people call, uh, calling for foreign countries to impose sanctions on Hong Kong. I mean, we had street protests explicitly calling for that, and there certainly were articles in Apple Daily, at least before the national security law, calling for that. I completely agree. There was this, and... You know, Martin Lee, Anson Chan, Jimmy Lai, all of them went to Washington, D.C. and called for the same thing. But these people were not paid CIA informants. They had their own agency. Um, yeah, Alan, uh, in, that, in that email, uh, you know, makes the point that uh, authoritarian governments uh, always like to um, say there are outsiders and there are black hands uh, and so on and, and talk about colour revolutions uh, and so on. And this was incidentally a claim made um, by uh, Nuri Vitacci uh, as well uh, a few years ago. Uh, he had made the same point. I think fairly uh, regularly since then, fa in fact. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, uh, yeah, he might have changed his mind recently. Um, uh, but anyway, but isn't that also true uh, lately of uh, democracies? I mean, the concern about foreign interference has been prominent in in um, America, certainly. Con you know, concern about Russian interference in elections uh, and so on, and around the world, and in the UK, and in Europe, uh, and so on. They are um, they're uh, worried about um, democracies have uh, expressed the same concern about about outside uh, interference. Uh, why should we, you know, label it an a characteristic of all? authoritarian governments. I mean, I agree with you. We live in an era of xenophobia and increasing nationalism. And it's very easy to blame your problems on foreigners, which is precisely what these political leaders are doing. They're huge problems, huge challenges. And the U.S. has presented huge challenges to China. I that's absolutely clear. Russia, apparently, huge challenges to the U.S. And so um, we do need the evidence, and these things need to be investigated calmly, rationally, and we need to look at the facts. Very often, these claims are made without giving citizens the facts. And I think this makes it very difficult for us to... Um, believe what's, uh, what the leaders say, and it undermines credibility in government itself. And trust, legitimacy, these are hard fought for and easily lost. 
but they're very important. I, I remember being told before before the handover that the British uh, routinely, well, if they apprehended Taiwanese spies uh, in in Hong Kong, they would just kick them out. Um, there would be no sort of uh, due process or anything like that because because it's too diplomatically sensitive uh, to to start sort of putting people on trial and producing evidence uh, and so on. Doesn't the same thing uh, apply now, that um, there may be evidence of CIA involvement and everything like that, but that they're not going to drag it through the courts, they're not going to make it public in that way. So um, we, you know, we're never going to see that, that sort of evidence. Which, which and which they, this say undermines trust. I mean, trust is in very short supply in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong government is widely distrusted. This explains so many of its problems today. And these kinds of actions done without evidence, the journalists, for example, have said about the Apple Daily Arrest, show us which are the 30 articles exactly and which parts of those articles are in violation of the NSL. I think the authorities have to do this or we simply will not believe them. Okay. Uh, some uh, emails. Peter says, instead of complaining about a single national security law for Hong Kong, which is required by the basic law and was overdue for 23 years, perhaps U.S. Consul General Hanscom Smith could hold a discussion with Hong Kong officials and Chinese executives about the dangers of the U.S. Patriot Act and the dozens of other ambiguous national, U.S. national security laws available for abuse and wrongful arrests by the U.S. government and its allies. That's from Peter. Uh, Russell uh, says, um, Henry Litton wrote last July in an opinion page about the national security law, quote, the notion that a, young man, uh, that a young man doing nothing more than waving a banner in the streets could be prosecuted and convicted under this law is absurd, whatever that banner might say, unquote. The police have since arrested people for doing nothing more than posting on social media, shouting slogans in the street, and more recently publishing opinion pieces in a newspaper. Some have already been held in custody for months, which might end up being years, waiting for their day in court. Can we trust Henry Litton's words and encourage young men to wave banners, whatever they might say? Or is he the real rotten foreign force gaslighting the Hong Kong public in broad daylight? Can you ask your guest, the one pointing at foreign forces, if any, if Henry Litton and his like should be held responsible for misleading the public into endangering national security? And Andrew Kay says on Apple Daily, why do you always assume that Apple Daily has done nothing wrong and are being victimised? I happen to think they've been breaking the law for years and hiding under the shield of being a media outlet. I can't prove my belief any more than you can prove yours. So why don't you just report impartially on events? That's from Andrew Kay. Also with us here in the studio is uh, Paul Zimmerman, a Southern District Councillor and CEO of Designing Hong Kong. Paul, good morning. Morning. So are you more, as someone who is uh, politically active in Hong Kong, and indeed, as we mentioned, a district councillor and whether which district councillors will be allowed to stay under the OFA office, something that's coming up. Are you more careful about your overseas contacts now? I, th I think we're all more careful, um, and uh, overseas contacts uh, uh, are more careful. Uh, we, we tried the U.S. Consul, uh, consulate contacted uh, our office as uh, part of the Hong Kong Democratic Foundation and ProCommerce, and they, they wanted to do their normal thing as having a conversation with uh, people in the, in the community about what was going on. And uh, that, uh, that conversation did not take place in the end because the, the, it was, there was no proof from the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs for that conversation between my my office and uh, uh, oh, hang on. And so why did you, you have to go to the ministry? No, I didn't have to go there, but the U.S. consul had to. 
So, I mean, there are there are these these uh, these questions about these conversations now that we used to, didn't used to exist. Um, um, we um, you didn't used to did the uh, U.S. concert used to seek approval from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs before they talked to a district councillor. Well, I, as a member of the probably for the election committee of the chief executive of uh, it might have been the uh, the status. But the, so the well, back up a bit. I've never heard that the US consul has to seek permission to meet a, a think tank, I mean, a, a civil society, not an official organization. Well, it, it's, it was probably, be, as I said, you, you know, when in their conversation they have to clarify who, who they're going to talk to. And um, uh, my status as a, the, a member of the chief executive election committee and a member of the, uh, the district council were two political roles that were highlighted in, the, in their uh, application. And then, um, you know, the, so, in so the how end, did this no work? Did, 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 did you ask whether they had approval or did they. Um, Spontaneously come back to you and say, "Oh, sorry, we can't talk to you after all." Well, they clarified. They clarified that they needed to get approval, and, and so they clarified my status and my political roles. Then uh, I came back and said, "Well, we don't can't get when approval." When was this? Uh, a couple of months ago. A couple of months ago. Yeah. Okay. So they have to go through a formal process, and they yeah, have to. There, there is uh, for some, I guess, for some countries and not for other countries, but there is this this concern, and, and uh, we, you know, at the Hong Kong Democratic Foundation, we've had lots of meetings where we invite always the the co-consulaire in in Hong Kong to attend, and and both the Ministry Foreign Affairs uh, uh, members join us, uh, people from the various consulates join us, and there are conversations about different topics. I think John Burns has been to one of our conversations too, where he presented. So. The, um, that's that's so normal path the of the course. But I think that of has... what happened with Apple Daily yesterday. Mm. I mean, if you had one of those conversations and a speaker uh, called for sanctions against the um, against uh, any uh, Hong Kong officials, you would be facilitating that, and you would quite possibly be interpreted as breaking the national security law. Yes. Yeah, so that's all. Uh, Apple Daily just published the articles, right? Uh, so the, if you're you're facilitating a speaker, that's the same thing. You're not, well, you're not actually doing it yourself. But that's, you're that's the question now with Apple Daily articles: whether they were inviting or reporting, and I. I, I we haven't been shown the article, so we don't know exactly uh, um, what the uh, what the status is. Yeah, but we're on shifting sands, um, in, and it's very uncomfortable for for everybody, including people like me. You know, you're elected, and you have to do the oath soon, and then you, they might then turn around and say, "Oh, well, you've done X, Y, Z, and so you're in contradiction. Now you have to go shipped off to jail," and that is a very uncomfortable feeling, and you don't know exactly the state of the field at the moment. So, as a result, you have to pay um, kind of careful at the moment. Um, and you cannot say what you want uh, or what you immediately think or a person like me who just flap things out of his mouth sometimes without thinking you just get a bit concerned about that including um, on this radio show would you say you'll be more careful what you say today than uh, you gave an interview to the BBC which uh, where you seem to be rather cautious in what you were saying you didn't directly utter any criticism of the national security law on that? Well, and that's, that interview was specifically regarding uh, tycoons, and I answered regarding the issue of tycoons, and it was like, you know, who, Jimmy Lai uh, stood out as a tycoon who objected to and, and uh, in, uh, stood up for the democracy, and then uh, the point was made that the other tycoons are not doing that, and, and that was part of that There's discussion. There's not necessarily anything wrong here. A lot of people are being mm. more careful in Hong Absolutely. Kong in what they say these days. Would you say yourself that like when you appear on shows like this you are now more careful about what you say than a than yeah, a year constantly it's whether you know what you pay post to your facebook where you don't put a post on your facebook where you say your radio where you don't say your radio i mean you you now have to kind of think about it. is this going to get me into trouble does this mean that they can arrive at my home at six o'clock in the morning and then i can't see my kids for i don't know how many months uh, and that 
you don't know where the lines are, and that makes it uh, makes it very uncomfortable. And um, so that's, uh, yeah, self-censorship is real. I mean, there's, there's no denying. All right, also with us is, is Alan Lung, co-convener of the Path of Democracy. We've still got a caller on the line. Maybe we just wait for the caller um, just uh, till we've heard a little bit from, from Mr Lung. Good morning to you. Hi, thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. So uh, foreign forces are subject to the discussion today, very much in the spotlight. The, uh, the uh, uh, Li Guangwan has said it's his uh, top priority, uh, the battle against foreign forces. What are they talking about when they talk about foreign forces? Does that mean the American government, the Taiwanese government, or something else, or what? Well, it, it more, almost sounds like foreign forces. Sounds like the foreign forces of the Star Wars, the good forces and the, and the, and the dark forces. Hmm. But Black jokes hands. aside, yes, <laughs> jokes aside, I think it's rather than talking about person, personal perception or perception of any particular body, it's probably more useful to talk, you know, to look into how this foreign forces term came into being, came came into a found its way here. I think what happened was, if you look back a bit, Jiang Xiaoping's foreign policy was to buy time, bid time, and hide your strength, which is really very close to, you know, what the American practice uh, invented by Teddy Roosevelt was, speak softly and carry a big stick. And it both started with speaking softly. It's the same sort of temperament. But, you know, the U.S. has stopped speaking softly to China. And mm -hmm. it seems only the big stick is left. And China, Chinese, has, China has stopped speaking softly to the rest of the world, right? Yes, mm -hmm. they, they're talking tough to, like, uh, uh, State Councilor Yang in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Alaska. I mean, it, it gives the impression that Hong Kong is almost... I mean, the China and U.S. is almost on the verge of the uh, Cold War. And I think the uh, Chinese modern foreign ministry perception is it's almost like you know this eight nation alliance uh that that sort of caused the boxer rebellion in 1990 1990 1990 and you know this eight nation this is their perception when they speak foreign forces they talk about you know american railing the eight nations uh, when China was, was really, that was the perception. Well, fortunately, I think the European Union and the, and the European governments are more rational. And I talked to the uh, the head of the European Union directly and asked him if the European Union still treat Hong Kong as a separate custom territory, which is not the case with the U.S. And I think the the, the, the what happened is we have this guy, this guy called Blinken guy who doesn't seem to be to know what he's doing and and he doesn't know he doesn't know uh, Asia and he's sticking to uh, Trump's sort of foreign policy and hasn't hasn't even paused to think and just keep on doing what Trump is doing and and this is the result when when when, when two elephant fights you know, we, we suffer. That's the result. Let, let, let's just go back to clarify a bit further who foreign... Foreign forces are not just foreign governments, are they? They regularly attack foreign organisations. They even attack organisations in Hong Kong with, uh, dominated by foreigners like the FCC. They re regularly attack the FCC for interfering in Hong Kong's internal affairs. Foreign forces is basically anyone who is not ethnically Chinese. That's the problem. 
So that, is, that, is that correct? Is that the correct interpretation there? That's their perception, but that's not the correct thing to do. I mean, I mean, Hong Kong, Hong Kong historically has been international. It's not just not Western government. There are all sorts of South Asian. Uh, everyone along the, the Silk Road, the, the Pakistani who speak all, who speaks all the all the uh, all the uh, so sort of Silk Road languages, and Hong Kong's diversity ought to be celebrated, and not treated as in such a xenophobic way. And this is just incompetence on part of, you know, ministries of foreign affairs in the U.S. is called State Department. And Hong Kong, the Hong Kong government thinks, oh, uh, foreign, foreign affairs is handled by, by Beijing, so it's, it's, it's not our business. So they're doing nothing. But it seems that uh, things are changing. Like there was this 100th anniversary seminar on... Uh, just day before yesterday, where Carrie Lam spoke in English. The whole seminar was in English. And even this uh, Tan Tian Niu, uh, the vice uh, director of uh, Chinese liaison office, who spoke extremely good English, so did, uh, did uh, Liu Guang, Guang Yuan. Everyone speaking English except for one or two who, who cannot speak. And it seems that, uh, that the I think at least at the at the Beijing level, they are <coughs> they are trying to harness the good force, the friendly forces, to tell Hong Kong stories. I mean, to try tell China's story, which they they think it, it deserves telling. That wasn't about yes, that wasn't about telling Hong Kong's story, was it? Kerry Lam specifically said that she welcomed it being in English, so she could talk about the Communist Party's achievements to the to the rest of the world in English. I I I I slipped. I mean, China's story. <laughs> okay. Uh, our number is 233 We've got a call on the line now, I think. Is it Will? Is that right? No. Will Free. Free Will. Free Will. Yeah. Hello. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. I wanted to speak about John Lee's statement yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, I'm appalled by John Lee, the security secretary of the government of Hong Kong, threatening people with the words, if you stand with these suspects, you will pay a hefty price. You should cut ties with these suspects or you'll regret it very much. To appropriate Greta Thunberg's accusation, how dare you threaten us? No charges, no presumption of innocence, no trial, no jury of the common people. Are these suspects barristers to be tried for complicity with their clients? or others who may wish to ensure that they're given a fair trial and they're not being politically persecuted. How dare you intimidate us? This is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard from any minister of any country where I've ever been a registered elector. And that is saying something at 72 years of age. Lee deserves to be sacked on the spot. And there is, a, is there a case? that he himself should face charges of perverting the course of justice and issuing threats and menaces for his prejudicial and threatening statements. I think the, uh, it's far be it from me to defend the Hong Kong government, but they would say it's quite normal practice among governments around the world to, to, to issue warnings against illegal conduct, to try and help, help citizens avoid breaking the law. That would be their defence of that kind of action. That uh, wasn't 
the essence of his statement, he just said that if you stand with these suspects, stand by them, whatever you'd like to say, you'll pay a hefty price. That's because you would be breaking the national security law as well, and he, he wants to warn people in advance so that they don't inadvertently end up breaking the law. That so would be if, the... I were, if I were to just uh, support these people to make sure that they had a, a fair trial, is that standing with them? Well, Am I therefore guilty by association? All right. An email from MT says, the facts will be seen or not when the arrested persons are charged and prosecuted uh, in court. Well, they, they will have their time in court, uh, won't they? And then we will see the evidence. In the end, there will be a fair process. Do you have confidence in that, can I ask? Uh, I don't know at the present mm. time. I just feel threatened by the words of the security secretary. Okay, many thanks for your, for your call. 233-88-266 is our number. Uh, let's see what other people uh, have said. Uh, Simon says, uh, so-called sanctions, who's laughing now? I'm sure we all remember the arrogance and bravado of Hong Kong and CCP officials when so-called sanctions, inverted commas, were mooted and implemented. There is not much laughter or snickering now, and the so-called prefix has been dropped by Carrie, John Lee and the other lackeys. Despite these fake patriots' stated pride in being sanctioned, they're obviously not telling the truth again, given their clear vendetta against anyone who might, even peripherally, have been associated with receiving this so-called honour. So much for the NSL not being retrospective. Yet another reassurance, which turns out to be false. I'm not a legal person, but there would appear to be a conflict of interest in the various sanctioned officials leading investigations and charges against those allegedly supporting the sanctions. But I suppose due process and honesty are no longer relevant in Hong Kong with Chinese characteristics. Still counting the days to backchat final rectification. That comes uh, from uh, Simon. Uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, Jim says, uh, this is uh, Jim H, says the CIA or British intelligence operatives, the actions or forces will never be revealed to the public. In 1997, these forces predicted that Hong Kong would be invaded by the PLA. There was no basis for that information. We're going to continue the discussion after the news uh, in about uh, three minutes' time. The weather, many fine, apart from isolated showers, very hot again. 30 degrees at the moment, relative humidity is now at 77%. <laughs> people, but judges ruled the litigants le lacked the legal standing to bring the case. President Biden described the decision as a big win for the American people. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Bank Chat on a Friday morning. We're talking about foreign forces. We have with us now uh, John Burns, Emeritus Professor, Honorary Professor in the Department of Public, uh, Politics and Public Administration at Hong Kong U, Alan Lung, co-convener of the think tank Path of Democracy, and Paul Zimmerman, a Southern District Councillor, CEO of Designing Hong Kong. We want to hear from you. Call us on 233-88266. We had an interesting call before nine. Uh, agree or disagree? Um, let us know. Of course, you can always comment on our Facebook page as well. That's Bank Chat on RTH K Radio 3 or email backchat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to read out your your uh, emails. If there are other topics, we may not find a space for them, uh, but we will we'll do what we can. Let's see. On Facebook, 
Uh, Bruce says, I would have to say most governments and businesses in the world have, stroke, are sitting back and standing aside while Hong Kong is being destroyed. Shame, shame on USA, UK and EU for using empty words. Notice to all businesses what happened to Apple Daily, stroke, next digital could be you. No one is safe or free. People have sacrificed, but business and government have been silent. Shame on you. You could be next. Uh, Bruce also says Hong Kong, unfortunately, just another city in China. And uh, Nigel says maybe Hanscom Smith, that's the US Consul General, should read all about the national security laws back in his home country. Um, uh, Andrew Kay had uh, emailed earlier saying, why do you always assume that Apple Daily has done nothing wrong or being victimised? Um, so, and, and I read that out and uh, Andrew Kay says, so no answer to my question as to why you always defend Apple Daily. Uh, Martin says, if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes journalism. That's how many local journos operate. It's OK if individuals like Maoist Matthew and frequent backchat commentators and Hong Kong anti-government protest supporters from faraway Canada like TC and Bowen hold a tinfoil sinophobic opinion on Hong Kong, mainland China and the CPC. However, if so-called journalists at Apple Daily, RTHK and other media outlets turn into activists spreading lies, deliberately creating their own propaganda and inciting hatred against China, then they betray their journalistic ethics and standards, abusing their positions as gatekeepers. RTHK and its carefully, mostly anti-China selected guests deliberately will not call that out. That's, that's from Martin. Yeah. I think we have to defend Boeing there. Boeing, a frequent commentator, uh, contributor to Backchat, is not in Canada as far as I'm aware. Maybe perhaps the way that email was was written, written. TC has made no secret of the fact he's in Canada. To be fair, we don't know where he is. Well, that's true. Uh, Vic says, uh, Dear Backchat, uh, while the fake commies and their sympathisers seem to be overplaying their foreign hand, they dictate the rules of the game and you can't even protest. Seeing the double standards in case of false declaration to the double transport department by the two journalists. Having said that, as quoted in one popular movie, if you connect the dots, you will find a white man behind every crime, not being racist, just pointing to the USA and UK. USA want to run the world like a mafia boss, and UK can be as dodgy as a slippery snake. See how they're handling Brexit by throwing curveballs at the Europeans when it's least expected. With all, with all their good press and intentions, these two countries are up to no good. They're only protecting their own interests, even though it means destabilising other countries. Uh, and Matthew says, the issue in Hong Kong is no longer about freedom of the media or speech, but about freedom of information. Within a year or two, there will be no free media and a firewall around the internet, putting us on a par with the mainland in this regard. The two pro-CCP commentators on Backchat highlighted where we are headed. On the back of the attempt to crush Apple Daily, it must have been a great relief for listeners to hear young middle-of-the-road patriotic patriot and DAB member Nixie Lam tell us she's studying New York Times articles, and although she disagrees with a lot of them, she doesn't feel they should be banned in Hong Kong yet. With regard to mainland university professor Mahoney, I also appreciate hearing his perspective, but it's not credible for any mainland-dependent commentator to pretend that they are free to criticise the CCP. This is simply a lie and must be acknowledged by both the expert and those inviting them to share their perspective in order to preserve credibility. Professor Mahoney highlighted the conflict of interest in his awkward and clumsy response to a simple question about what aspects of the CCP's approach he disagreed with. This was a re- reference to the re- programme yesterday. Uh, his suggestion that freedom of information was not 
restricted in the mainland because people have VPNs was totally absurd. Of course, people in China have VPNs and can see external information, but they've been conditioned by the education, propaganda and security system, which includes people like Professor Mahoney, not to challenge or ask any questions regarding the CCP's narrative. Fortunately, in Hong Kong, we're not quite there yet. So if Professor Mahoney wishes to promulgate this nonsense on Backchat, he will either need to lift his nuanced game or thicken up his skin because he will be challenged. That comes uh, from Matthew. Still with us as we continue our discussion on the issue of foreign forces in Hong Kong, <coughs> here in the studio are Paul Zimmerman, Southern, Southern District Councillor, and also joining us Alan Lung, co-convener of Path for Democracy, and Professor John Burns, formerly of the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Professor Burns, let's go back to you. Um, Hong Kong government, I'm sure you well recall, you used to spend a lot of money describing Hong Kong as Asia's walled city. In this era of suspicion about foreign forces, how far is that title still accurate? Well, yes, I think we can. That's a good question to ask, but I don't think that we can just point the finger at the national security law. I think there are many aspects in which Hong Kong is... Uh, you know, the, the claim that Hong Kong is uh, a global city or an international city has long run hollow. So really, Hong Kong has two faces. On the one face, you have the financial hub. You have all these uh, people from overseas who come here uh, to run businesses and uh, banks and so forth and who are well-connected globally. Um, that's, that's one face. But then you have the other face of Hong Kong, which is racist, xenophobic, and homophobic. And uh, recently you only have to look at our leaders, quote-unquote, in the uh, LegCo, debating whether they should support the gay games or not. So these kind of... Then Kerry comments, Lam came out. Kerry Lam came out to actually uh, to dispute those comments and say she regretted she those kind of... following. They're not leading anything. And they're following the lowest common denominator. So we need, actually, what Hong Kong has had is a dearth of credible leaders. And, okay, so Carrie Lam did come out. And, and also, home, sorry uh, to interrupt, but homophobic comments are hardly um, unique to uh, politicians in Hong Kong. You can find uh, elected politicians all over the world who make homophobic comments. I mean, it's, ex Exactly. So I'm not saying that the two faces are uh, unique to Hong Kong either. But, I mean, we have to remember that when we're talking about Hong Kong as an international city. Mm. Uh, and, and what do you make of that? Of course, we, you know, we're here, we're talking in English on a, on a government uh, radio station. You know, they run a, they run a couple of channels which are, which are English only for, for uh, people, you know, so it's not only uh, Chinese that are, that are being served. And Hong Kong is kind of uniquely open. We've got the foreign judges. And TV stations as the well. The TV stations. We've got, we've got the foreign judges and the court of final appeal. Uh, we have, uh, we just sort of, we don't inquire too much about nationality when it comes to growth. In many ways, Hong Kong is one of the most open places in the world for, for people to, to come and work and settle down and, and so on from around the world. And of course, we're open culturally and, in, and economically uh, to the world, more open than, than many, many places. Do you think, can we sustain that or do you think that's going to change? Maybe we should just be a little bit less open. Certainly, something that must be celebrated, promoted, and preserved. <clears throat> uh, I mean, 
one country, two system with Hong Kong that is exactly the same, exactly the same as any ch- Chinese city. It doesn't do China any good, and 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 that is not. I'm sure that's not the intention. But there are people, uh, you know, the 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 the, the so-called patriots. Uh, there's now a term called uh, patriotic rubbish or something. Mm, trash, yeah. And 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 those people speculate what. Uh, uh, Beijing government or Chinese Communist Party want to be a patriot is certainly not to create more problem problems for for the uh, for Beijing. It's to you know try to solve problems and mediate if you can, and find out what Hong Kong role has uh, in mediating things. Like for example, I I I I, I uh, to take an example. Uh, uh, Commissioner Liu ought to be talking to, uh, taking uh, the, the, the U.S. consulate out to lunch and find out what he's thinking, his thinking. Has he done that? My, my understanding is the Ministry of Foreign, of, of Foreign Affairs people in Hong Kong, this is the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of China, doesn't, re- re- doesn't go out and nose around and, and, and uh, report what is Hong Kong to, to headquarters, they just follow, you know, whatever order from Beijing, and, and so so they they've sort of degraded themselves almost as a propaganda machine. And I don't think they understand Hong Kong because they, they don't know around. And Paul Zimmerman, you've been in Hong Kong how long? Nineteen eighty four. Do you ever feel less welcome than before? And particularly, you're somebody who gets involved a lot in local political affairs. Do you ever feel now that? Uh, there's sort of some. I, I know you've taken um, SAR nationality, but but nonetheless, that there's any, some sort of pushback that you might not have had ten years ago. Not not, not among the local community. And I think the pushback we're feeling is uh, in the district council, where basically whatever we do these days is uh, no longer considered relevant by any government department. They don't show even show but up. That's anymore. not confined to you. That's, your, that's, your local colleagues. Exactly. So exactly. That I don't think so. That, and I think the local the local community is very welcomes that we're all around and that Hong Kong is an international city. You know, I think every, everybody celebrates that constantly, whether you're, you're uh, and when we look at from Holland or whether you're originally from China. I mean, you live in Hong Kong, you celebrate the fact that this is an international city and people are proud of that. And they want to retain that. But are we retaining it? Is it, is it a, in, in a threat? I mean, I, I believe that uh, we have a risk that Hong Kong will shrink to a special purpose vehicle for financial transactions, um, where we, the, our common law system is used basically to do financial transactions, and that gives some understanding for the rest of the world. But is, are we going to lose certain freedoms that the, this businesses are going to make decisions not to be here? If you're a financial international research house that you feel uncomfortable in Hong Kong, you're going to be in Singapore instead of Hong Kong? If people stop making those decisions, then Hong Kong is going to lose that role. I mean, and Hong Kong has been, when I arrived, it was that special place, the window on the world for China and the window on China for the world. And, and that interaction was very strong. And that was, it was a free expression that was, was entrepreneurial. And if, that, if we're going to lose that because Hong Kong becomes more as Beijing and Shanghai and we shrink the, the, the special status that, uh, that Hong Kong has, then we're going to lose that, that status. And then Hong Kong as an international city is going to shrink. And I think that everybody wants to stand up against that. Do you think Hong Kong is still an international city now? I think at this moment Hong Kong is still an international city, but the 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 ability to operate here without fear 
um, is is shrinking very quickly because the sense are shifting and it's unclear how the sense are shifting and fairness appears to disappear from our legal system. So um, and all of that Fair, is happening. Fairness appears to disappear from our legal system. What do you think? Well, that? I mean, so so national security law. I mean, exactly what are the risks that you're going to be exposed to and 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 when when do you when you, when is there isn't transgression and when there is not and when is your what is your recourse and getting proper representation and etc etc etc. We all have to learn what what is really going on. And uh, all these all these suspects have had proper representation. We've seen endless series of court hearings where you have a fairly prominent um, counsel defending national security suspects, don't you? Yeah, sure. And then and then and then where's the outcome for from that? So okay. the so I think that that uncertainty is putting a lot of questions in people's minds, and that's very that's very uh, that that's a real great change. Of course, we have an overlap here with the COVID impacts too. Um, so to what extent have people left, left the city because of COVID? To what extent people living in the city because of uh, the national security law? I, I don't really, you can't really tell right now. But there are the, 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 quite a, the number of uh, the international community, members of the international community have left. Uh, I believe they were economic, seekers of economic gains. They were economic migrants, a lot of them. Um, the, but I think people are rethinking their, 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 the, the status of the city and uh, as a place to live and as a place to 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 uh, to retire and to live forever. Uh, I think people are rethinking that. Whenever you speak now to um, people that have been in business here for a long time, they're rethinking uh, their, their role in the city and their, their status here. How about you? The thought of whether you might have to leave one day or certainly whether you would retire here, even uh, as SAR passport holder, must have crossed your mind. Well, well absolutely it crosses your mind. Was that a good decision? Um, you, when, when I made the decision to live in Hong Kong forever, that wasn't around 2000. I had, I had sold my business and around 2000 it was this kind of like am i going to leave i'm going to stay and i decided to stay forever and that this was the place i, f I think it's a fantastic place to live but then of course when these things are happening and your friends end up in jail and uh you know these these uh, uh the whole discussions uh, around the nsl and the impacts of that uh, of course your mind changes you go like is this going to be a place where economics live yeah. do i have to take an oath and then i have to i'm going to be at risk uh, for just running as a district councillor, um, of course you're you're, uh, you're think, rethinking about was that a wise decision. But I still love the city uh, incredibly, and the community needs us all here as well. We shouldn't give up on Hong Kong. I think John we, Burns, yeah. you the, the origin of uh, Paul Zimmerman's complaint is really the different conception of uh, p p different perception. Or I'm not complaining, Ellen. I'm just. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm supporting you. I'm trying to explain that that uh, that uh, there is different perception about rule of law in mainland China and in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. I mean, in mainland China, it's really they they are up to the stage of rule by law. Everything has to be legal. Well, this is this sort of of concept uh, uh, understanding is different from from Hong Kong's understanding of rule by law. Hong Kong understanding of rule by law is. It's not just legal. It must be seen by legal, by to be fair, by the majority of people, and they haven't done that. And this sort of thinking is encroaching on Hong Kong's sort of traditional rule of law system. And nobody has spoken up about this. Uh, not even a legal com community. And and the uh, the uh, the Department of Justice is keep seeking maximum sentence. That cannot be good for Hong Kong. That cannot be good for China. This sort of so activities will only would put Hong Kong into more trouble and give a negative image of China, you know, and when, when the European Union says they think the legal system is changing. 
this is the, really the origin of, of, of this the, this problem. Professor, that, you know, Sorry, uh, let, let's just move before we end. Let's bring in Professor John Burns so we can uh, ask, him, ask him the same question I asked uh, Paul Zimmerman. Uh, John Burns, uh, the thought of leaving Hong Kong must surely have crossed your mind. Yes, when I signed up uh, to become a Chinese citizen, that was in 2017. This place, I did not anticipate that these sorts of things would happen so quickly. I thought they would happen eventually, but I think they've all been hastened by the incompetence of the Hong Kong government in dealing the 20, dealing with the 2019 riots. Mm-hmm. So yes, of course, like Paul, I, uh, these kinds of things have crossed my mind. But then, as Paul will tell you, when you make this decision, you make this decision and you have to live with it. Do you have to live with it? Could you renounce your SAR nationality and uh, reclaim foreign nationality? I think it's very, very difficult. So you're basically, um, let's go back to Paul Zimmerman, you're you're stuck with your decision even if you wanted to go elsewhere. Could you go elsewhere, Paul? You're not a B&O holder, you can't can't apply for the British visas. No, I I, I guess you would have to become a refugee if you want to leave town, but (laughs) (laughs) but, I mean, that that really is is, is not a consideration. I mean, that's that's not the panic. I mean, I I don't want to leave this city. I think this is is the best place to live as a place to live. Still, still. Well, when I talk about best place to live, I talk about my friends, I talk about the mountains, I talk about the seas, I talk about the, fa- the, the fantastic opportunities and the ability to get around. Yeah, and the mountains the, and, and to, seas are not going to change, are they? And they're not going to change, exactly. And, and, but is that all we're going to be left with? And are we having to be constantly in fear for who we talk to, what we talk about and what we say? That will be very unpleasant. And right now, it is very unpleasant. Right now, I agree with Paul about all of this. Can you identify, it's very difficult, any red line, the red line that would be the tipping point going forward? Uh, maybe I'll ask John Burns first. Um, when do you become a refugee, John? <laughs> yes, I mean, this is... Uh, I don't anticipate that happening. I think my own position on what I understand to be the red lines has been very clear and publicly stated, and I haven't crossed any of them. If there are new unknown red lines, then it becomes a different game. Okay, and Paul Zimmerman? I, I, I don't know, but if you, when you ask a question like that, then you know, my, the first line in my head is when they start shooting. But I mean, it's, it's uh, um, when it gets, gets to a very a dangerous place to live, and I think we're very, 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 very far away from that. But I mean, uh, the fact that we're losing uh, the ability to speak freely, uh, and we see friends ending up in jail for a long time for, for speaking up on, on things that are basically electoral tech, tactics, um, it, is, it becomes very uncomfortable to see what's going on. And I hope we stabilize and come back down. And I hope with Anna Lung that he's absolutely right that, um, you know, this is not good for Hong Kong. I mean, let's hope that China comes to that point and that the Hong Kong government will come to that point and that we'll settle down and come back and open up and uh, relax a bit in the city. All right. Some um, <clears throat> thoughts from listeners to finish off. Uh, Greg says, the views espoused by your email contributor Martin have to be the most ludicrous of the morning. He and his ilk are the ones wearing tinfoil hats. He accuses RTHK and Apple Daily, but ignores Tarkung Pao and Wenwei Po. The hacks working for these outfits are CCP loyalists, if not operatives. Malevolent Martin needs to wake up to the vile actions of these propagandists, unless, of course, he's already signed up as one. That comes uh, from Greg. Mark says, foreign forces in Hong Kong and who actively took part in inciting young people 
people into radical behaviour are the National Endowment for Democracy and the Oslo Forum. The amount of money and activities are recorded in their annual reports and live TV interviews. That's from uh, Mark. Uh, yeah, have a look at the have a look at the uh, Oslo Forum. Uh, that's uh, that's quite interesting because that's a. Uh, that's uh, an open forum. They're not in Hong Kong, are they? Uh, not, not in Hong Kong, but, I mean, that has people from all over the world uh, going to it. It's uh, completely open and public, and um, a lot of the events are, are live-streamed. Um, whether you consider that to be foreign... And I'd say people from literally every country in the world uh, take part in that, uh, whether you consider that to be uh, foreign forces. Interesting. Uh, John says, I could have sworn I just heard one of you refer to Hong Kong as Asia's walled city. Uh, then again, in the COVID era, that's probably quite an accurate description of both the politics and life in general. Uh, that's uh, from uh, John. Matthew says, congratulations, TC. You finally got a mention by the Backchat patriotic new listener, Cardro. Long over the Jew and well-deserved. <laughs> I have to admit I drifted off a bit during the correspondent writing under the name Martin's rambling manifesto. However, the discussion regarding the whereabouts of Bowen at the end snapped me back and I got me wondering where Martin might be. One thing is for sure, if he's a real person, not a sweatshop woo-mao, I bet he hasn't chosen to base himself on the mainland. Hong Kong patriots never do. Do they, Martin? That comes uh, from uh, Matthew. I assume Martin isn't there because he wouldn't be able to hear us. Uh, Jim H says, uh, under British occupation, bring guests was a crime punishable by imprisonment at the pleasure of the Queen. Uh, Jim H also says the term wog was a common reference to people from the subcontinent. Give me a break. That's uh, from uh, Jim H. Thank you very much indeed. How many to, years uh, is that? Sorry? How many years ago is that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. sorry, Abby. Uh, okay, uh, well, uh, hang on, just a couple more. Just uh, get they just keep coming in. Here, yeah. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> just to be fair. Okay, Tony says people catch allegiance to the United States when they become U.S. citizens. And Boris says, please stop talking about red lines. They're imaginary. They're unclear and intentionally so, designed to sow uncertainty and fear and keep the population in line. They change at whim. Yep. That's from Boris. Thank you very much indeed to, to our guests, to Paul Zimmerman, Alan Lung, and uh, John Burns. Thank you very much indeed. Let's turn finally uh, today to space. And uh, the first Chinese astronauts uh, have gone aboard the uh, space station, Tiangong, uh, yesterday afternoon, after taking off uh, earlier in the day. Um, three of them uh, entered the a core module. They're going to be there for the next uh, three months. Uh, to tell us more about uh, uh, the uh, achievement and uh, what it signifies, we will be joined now once again by Professor Quentin Parker from the Department of Physics and Director of Space Research Laboratory at the University of Hong Kong. Professor Parker, good morning to you. Good morning again. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, how significant is this? Um, uh, you know, having now a manned space station uh, uh, orbiting the Earth, uh, what are the plans like and what do they signify, do you think? Well, I think it's a very, very exciting moment for anyone that's involved in the Chinese space program. And don't forget the International Space Station is still very much up there and will be up there for at least uh, two more years, although I suspect what uh, China has now done will focus minds on keeping the International Space Station going for quite a while longer because there's no technical reason why it can't. Uh, go on for perhaps as much as another decade. Anyway, the fact that uh, the Chinese have uh, unilaterally and independently uh, managed to demonstrate so much capacity that they can launch uh, a space station and build it over the next two years, and with uh, the first three Taikonauts in almost five years 
uh, going up into space uh, yesterday. I mean, I watched it from the uh, doctor's surgery. <laughs> I was managed to get a doctor to put it on live because, uh, and so that was very, very exciting for us both actually to see the launch, uh, successful launch, and also the very rapid time with which they were able to dock with that space station. I mean, this is also another demonstration of improved capacity from the Chinese. Yeah, they were up in a few hours, basically, weren't they? From yeah, it used from to take Earth up to two to... days to dock with the International Space Station because first of all you went into a low orbit, then you had to get into the same orbit as the ISS and then the manoeuvre and blah, blah, blah. But now they're using BIDO and GPS and everything to really streamline and speed up the whole docking process, which is actually very efficient and saves a lot of time and money. Probably QR codes got in there somewhere. <laughs> they do like those. Uh, yeah, I mean, is this, is this the advantage that they can kind of leapfrog technology now that uh, NASA uh, and the International Space Station, of course, included many, many countries, but, but not China, uh, you know, yeah, works um, all these things and now they can just skip, skip ahead? Yeah, China was keen to participate, of course, in the International Space Station, but uh, through various reasons it was prevented from doing so. So the Chinese have actually uh, used it to spur themselves on to develop their own uh, rapidly emerging capacity in space. I mean, you can only have to look at what they've done on the moon and Mars and now uh, in space with this space station and uh, can crew three. I mean, don't forget this space station, as we put together in two years, is only about a, a quarter of the size when it'll be fully built as an international space station, we'll have a permanent crew of three rather than the six on the ISS. But nevertheless, uh, its core mission will be science. And the many experiments are already there, that are already planned and will be implemented that uh, have been open to the international community. So many countries have, I think there's about nine experiments with a whole variety of different countries like India and Belgium and Russia and Germany and Poland and Switzerland and Norway and France and the Netherlands, etc. A lot of European countries, Peru and Spain, Mexico, have all got experiments uh, accepted onto the Chinese space station. And I think the fact that it's international has been very much... Uh, um, uh, promoted by the Chinese, and they've even said they're prepared to, you know, have uh, foreign uh, Taikonauts on board that space station too. So they're being very open, uh, it seems to me at least, in the way they're open to international competition, which I think is a really good thing. So is this uh, the story of the 2020s going to be the new space race then, uh, China versus the, the West? <laughs> well, that's not the first time I've heard this term space race. Of course, the International Space Station in went 60s, up in 1998, we? and it's now 2021, so... It's hardly uh, a space race in, in that sense. But in terms of, I think, um, uh, demonstrating improved and emerging high-level capacity that the Chinese space program is independently demonstrated, very high technical achievement in like, going on the backside of the moon, bringing back moon rock, landing a, mover on, landing a rover on Mars. You've seen the pictures that keep coming out and now uh, building the space station. Uh, uh, Taikonauts training in the Gobi Desert to go to Mars possible planned uh, moon base with the Russians, all sorts of exciting developments. Even there's going to be a Hubble Space Telescope equivalent linked to the Chinese space station in a similar orbit so they can repair it. And that's going to have a field of view, I think, 300 times the size of that that the Hubble Space Telescope has. So they really are extremely ambitious. They've got wonderful plans. They're making them real on staggeringly short timescales frankly, and so watch this space both figuratively and in reality. But as you say, this is, will, will this, you said this, this might spur the ISS to, to, to stay there a bit longer, so it would be, it would be like a race. You, you would expect um, the West broadly well, I mean, the race to respond? Whom, don't forget, um, you know, China is an emerging primary space power. I mean, America's already there, Russia's already there, India's getting there too, the Europeans are there, 
The Japanese have significant capability. So there's many spacefaring nations around, mm. and uh, they collaborate and cooperate in many ways. And I think that really is the way forward. If you try to make it adversarial, like we did in the past between the Russians and the Americans with the race into space and the man on the moon, I mean, you know, that's all very well, but where does it get you? You haven't been back to the moon in decades. You know, if you're going to do this, you do it in a way that's going to benefit mankind through science and through discovery and through cooperation, because when you cooperate, you actually achieve a hell of a lot more than if you just try to do things on your own. Okay, and so, but and we have seen space races before. I mean, isn't this parallels of the 1960s with America getting terribly worried about the Russians getting ahead? Uh, well, I don't like to put it in that uh, in that prism, frankly, and I don't think it's actually a good thing for people to promote. I think this is the the media trying to beat up uh, this process of a race. Uh, race in, in, in what way? I mean, the plans have been there. Uh, yes, countries can respond to each other in terms of uh, competition. It can be healthy. It can actually promote rapid in developments and improvements as well, as we see in so many other facets of, of human activity. So uh, if you want to put it in terms of a, of a race, um, well, people can do that. But I'd like to see it as, a, as a, you know, just another emerging major player to join the other players that are already there. And they have every right to do so. You know, and how they do it and what they do it. Uh, you know, if you look at the patents that are coming out at the moment, there's like 40% more patents on technology coming out from China than the second highest country, which is America, then Japan after that. And so I think, you know, the technology developments that China is demonstrating means that some, if there's a race, it might be catch up from the West rather than the other way around. That's the possibility, as things with AI and quantum computing and all these other areas are really, really taking off in China through massive investments in education and what have you. So I'm very excited about all this, and I hope that, you know, the, the politicians can try to put this adversarial mindset apart and look at ways that we can join hands, build trust, and come together in collaboration in space, because I think that's in the best interest of everybody. All right, here's an email from Mr. Tang, who says, The story of the trio of Chinese astronauts with humble beginnings chosen to carry out a three-month space station-related mission can definitely inspire youngsters with space exploration aspirations to study STEM subjects hard and join their ranks, and proves that age does not deter any dream chasers. Despite being aged between mid-40s and mid-50s, the three possess tremendous fitness, knowledge and experience that come in handy in a space mission that demands problem-solving, crisis management, and sharp judgment on the part of astronauts. There's no denying that the rapid advancement of technology in China allows its space exploration programs to soar to new heights, whether in terms of spacewalk, spaceflight, and the construction of its own uh, space station. China is catching up with countries around the world in terms of space exploration capabilities and could very well be en route to surpassing them in the near future, as you were saying. Given China's rise in space exploration, opportunities abound for youngsters in the country studying SEM subjects. as a range of science-savvy personnel, such as biologists and engineers, with specific skill sets will be in high demand. That's from uh, Mr Tang. Professor Parker, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Quentin Parker there from the Department of uh, Physics and Director of the Space Research Laboratory at the University of Hong Kong. One more email, because he sent it twice, uh, from Will, responding to uh, a discussion yesterday. Uh, this was about Professor Mahoney. Uh, Will says, he did it again. Uh, Hugh, you just got through the first paragraph of my email yesterday in which I pointed out that while unable to think of any concrete examples Examples of CCP failure. Professor Mahoney had pivoted and in the same breath regaled us with tales of just how open the mainland actually is to criticism, he says, in stark contrast to the fake news Western media narrative. Clearly angered by this completely factual restatement in my email of what had just occurred, Professor Mahoney interjected and cut you reading out the rest of it off to finally to give us a supposed criticism he'd made of the central government, which shockingly 